Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Jarrell Mason, a.k.a. J. Mason. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have your favorite DJ. If you know 252-336, you know this man's voice, you know his name, you know his mixtapes, and he's the one that's responsible for making sure that your signal sounds clean on your radio stations. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big round of applause. Welcome back to Beyond the Album Cover. The one, the only, and I got to do this right. DJ Earn, 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 Earn. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, bro. How yeah, man, you, you got it. You, you, you got it right. You got it right. DJ Earn, 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 as they say. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. got to put that echo in there. This interview is brought to you by Jack Spittle Faddle Opt. So, folks. Ern is my good friend, former co-worker, so you're going to hear a lot of jokes, a lot of laughing. So it's we, we try, to, we try to keep the inside jokes to a minimum, but at least we'll try to explain the inside jokes if they happen, you know? Yeah, they yeah. They probably will. Yeah, yeah. Cool points. I'm still here, baby. But uh, first oh, yeah. off, first off, um, man, what's been going on with you lately since I last had you on the podcast? A lot has changed. Oh, man. When was it? It was, what, two years ago? Yeah, it was about, I think. about two years ago, so. Okay, well, well, about the biggest thing that, that happened in between then and now was I transitioned off of being on the air at 102 Jams every, uh, I think I was doing it every, every almost every day. And, and now I'm uh, IT engineering for Odyssey Greensboro, which means I take care of the, uh, the IT engineering side uh, for all four radio stations there in the building, which consists of uh, 102 Jams, 93.1 The Wolf, 97.1 QMG, and uh, 98.7 Simon. And where did your love of figuring out the engineering side of radio come from? Were you just getting radios, taking it apart, and just trying to do your own thing? Because not everybody can do that. Um, I, I had an interest in it. My dad had an interest in it when he was uh, when he was younger, and it kind of, I guess, the influence rubbed off on me because he was doing radio or television. Um, he was doing radio. Uh, when I was born, he was doing on air at my hometown radio station, uh, WRCS and WQDK and a Husky and uh, a Husky, North Carolina. And, and then uh, probably around 88 or 89, he, we moved to Raleigh and he was master control operator for uh, at that time, WYED TV. Uh, and then it, they transitioned to WNCN TV, which was then back then there were MB, NBC and the, I saw the old iteration of WB and all that stuff. And uh, he also worked part-time at a little gospel radio station there in Raleigh uh, called WCLY. And um, and just tinkering with electronics, he used to buy me like these little electronic kits and from Radio Shack, you know, little like 30-in-1 electronic kits where you put, put together, you basically read it and you put together different circuits most of the time I always ended up building a radio or a radio station. Um, but <laughs> sometimes I would get bored and go through the whole book. Ooh, man, that was one store. I never really explored like that. Radio Shack when it was at a uh, Becker village mall, you know, I just never really had that mm -hmm. interest. If you know, Runner Rapids and Becker village mall, then you know, radio shack right next to style setter. And if you go <laughs> style setter, you know, you know, it. but you said my, you were living in Raleigh right around that time, right around. Yeah. My, or so. Mm-hmm. My favorite store was Radio Shack. I, yeah. I loved Radio Shack. Yeah, you got questions, they got answers. Not no more, though, because they're the No, if you had questions, they had questions. Just generally how it was. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they didn't know what they were They didn't doing. know. 
No, they if you said, had a question, they didn't know. Yeah, they definitely didn't know the answer. Yeah, but um, the reason why I mentioned Rowling 89, I was curious if you happen to have heard Foxy 107 pre-Urban AC flip back in 90, because I think the reason why they flipped to Urban AC was because K97 was coming in hot with their stick, and they had a bigger signal because Foxy 107 was hampered by a lack of signal coverage because of the stations in the triad coming in and in the stations in around the triangle area, which kind of didn't really expand their listener coverage until they were able to get WFXC out of, I believe it was Rocky Mountain because it was Katy Country at the time. And then it uh-huh. ended up getting the signal and that led to the Foxy 107-104 simulcast. Well, uh, no, I don't. I don't remember that that time before then. I really, I was kind of into radio then. Uh, a lot of a lot of it, I didn't know. Um, when you know, because you got to think, I started kindergarten in nineteen ninety eighty nine. I started kindergarten eighty nine. So you know, I was a kid. You know, I'm just into what you know. So I didn't really care about the radio station back then, but I did a little bit, but not much. Um, you know, a lot of my information about Raleigh radio came later as I started doing research, uh, you know, and a lot of my research was always about the technicals, a little bit about what formats they ran, but mostly it was about the technicals and FXC was always hampered. It was a Durham station. It's always been a Durham station, even from its inception. Um, and they were paired with uh 1490 they were the FM side of fourteen ninety, which used to be a a big urban station in 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 the in the Raleigh Durham area, um, and then eventually as FM radio transitioned, everybody moved over to FM, and then there was uh, I believe it was WFRC uh, was the other was the competitor on uh, fourteen ten AM in Durham, which uh, I believe is featured in um, the uh, the poster. Oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of that poster, but it's everywhere. Uh, it's the black everybody's dancing the black party where everybody's dancing oh i know what you're talking about you're talking about the painting the sugar shack done by north carolina central alum ernie barnes yes 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 that's what i'm talking about yeah and in that poster there they mentioned the, the radio station that is mentioned is 14 10 a.m uh which i believe at the at time the, the call was uh wfrc which was you know it was a 5,000 watt a.m station um 1,000 watts night uh, it covered Raleigh and Durham during the day, but at night it was it was a you could tell that they engineered the station to try to get into Raleigh, but you know just the way AM and propagation was, it wasn't gonna work. Yeah, and those AM signals didn't really stretch so, far when they had to power it down at night. Now, no, there were there were a kilowatt at night, but they were running a tight directional. They they run five four four towers directional at night. And it just wasn't gonna work. Yeah, it covered Durham, but that was it. Yeah, so their reach didn't really get too far. Now, when I interviewed Cy Young on the podcast a couple of years ago, he was telling me that K97 was coming in so hot in the triad that I believe it was either 102 or Power 97 before they flipped to Urban AC that they were being blasted through the studio monitors. And I believe whoever was PD at the time had to call down to K97 and say, hey, you guys are coming through our stuff. Probably Power 97. You got to remember that, uh, probably QMG. You got to remember that at that time, uh, you know, 97.5 and 97.1 were sitting, you know, they're they're close to each other. So they're only really one click away from each other on the radio. And if they had an analog studio monitor in Greensboro, what, what can easily happen is your auto frequency control could shift and the radio will 
block into the next stronger signal, which could have been 97.5. It's possible. It's a plausible story. Yeah, plausible story. And the funny thing about radio stations and signals is that typically, um, normally when you hit around, I want to say maybe orange and before you get into elements, that was that's when the radio station signals from the triangle tend to fade and you start picking up the stations from the triad. Yeah, yeah. Your usual your your transition point is right around Hillsboro. Is uh there's a, a an old mountain range that runs in between Durham and, and Chapel Hill and Hillsboro. And right around that uh old mountain range is when you start to really get the transition from Raleigh signals to Greensboro and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And then also with being the areas where we're from at NC, since we're so close to VA, I believe you all had gotten radio stations from the Tidewater area, Hampton Roads, and mm-hmm. being from near Richmond, Petersburg, you would pick up signals from Petersburg and Richmond on occasion, depending mm-hmm. on the weather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Um, a lot of A lot of the stations that we cherish, you know, uh, you mentioned K97 and Foxy. Both of those were, were I like to call them, they were docket 8090 stations, which were, um, these were stations that covered, you know, FXK uh, 1043 was a Tarboro radio station. They were a Tarboro radio station for many years. And uh, QOK up in South Boston, they were a South Boston station for many years. And a lot of them were running 100,000 watts, but they were usually tied to an AM uh, QOK wasn't, but FX, FXK was. And, um, so when Docky 8090 came around in the, in the mid eighties, which was the FCC said all these 100,000 watt radio stations, you need to build your facilities out to, to at the minimum was, you know, 100,000 watts, thousand feet. So a lot of them start building facilities out. A lot of them did. So this is a right around the time, eighty, the late 80s, when you started to see a lot of these big 100,000-watt stations. And a lot of people were like, well, they're kind of close to big cities. Let's move it as close as we can to the major city. So in the case of FXC, uh, well, not FXC, FXK, they, put their, they built a 1,000-foot tower in Middlesex, which allows them to still cover Tarboro and puts the city grade into Raleigh and with QOK them being a South Boston station, they moved their tower as far South as they could, which was Creedmoor. And that allowed them to put a city grade over South Boston and Raleigh. Uh, and, and all these stations did it right in the late eighties. One Oh two jams did it too. Um, they were a Reedsville station for many years. They were in Reedsville in the early 80s, running 50,000 watts. Then they moved their tower to Brown Summit, uh, about 10, 15 miles north of Greensboro. And they were running 100,000 watts, but it wasn't enough. And then when Docket 8090 came around, they said, oh, we need to upgrade again. So they built a 1,300-foot tower uh, in Stokesdale, which is still, eh, you're still close to Reedsville, but you're also closer to Greensboro. Mm, interesting. So when mm-hmm. talking about um, NC hip hop culture, of course we mentioned the likes of Little Brother, J Cole, PD Pablo, Cassidy, mm-hmm. and all the other acts. But further back, you know, back in the eighties, 
how you know Mr. Freeze of Mr. Freeze records and tapes, how he sponsored a lot of the early rap events that came in and around the Triangle area, you know, Dorton Arena, maybe Carter Finley, some uh -huh. of the venues around the Triangle, and of course the late Waxmaster Tory, uh, Wink Moody, Wink Moody on duty. But let's talk about the legacy, the impact on NC Hip Hop that uh, DJ Sound Machine brought to NC Hip Hop. Oh my goodness. Uh, I think Sound Machine, Sound Machine did a lot in Raleigh. I know he was on KNC for a very long time. Um, Wolfpack Station, uh, 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 NC, NC State. Yeah, NC State. And uh, eventually he moved over the jams. I'm not really sure of his his entire history, but Sound Machine was a monster. And Sound Machine, uh, you know, he was he was doing rap. He was uh, doing the b-boy stuff. He was he was one of the guys that was hip when hip hop was hip hop. He was hip hop. Yeah, Sound Machine, if you ever want to come on Beyond the Album Cover, we got a spot waiting for <laughs> Sound Madukey, what's up, man? <laughs> yeah, there's an old air check on YouTube. It's from 87. This was before Foxy flipped to Urban AC. It was with Waxmaster Tory, DJ Sound Machine, and KGB doing a mix show on the Mix Music Showcase 1987. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, this was so dope. I mean, Sound Machine's cutting and scratching was Crazy. Yeah. And to hear an air check from Foxy pre-Urban AC is a rarity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I when I started hearing about Sound Machine and started meeting Sound Machine, this was, uh, you know, mid-2000s. So this is when I was living in Greensboro and we were listening to 102 Jams and we hear Sound Machine on at night. And Sound Machine, the way he was scratching cut, some of my other DJ friends, that Sound Machine was using four turntables when he DJed. And I, I was like, I don't think so. We started recording his mixes and we were playing them back and trying to learn the scratches that he was doing. Like, like we was patting ourselves behind Sound Machine. And then, like, you know, as I started, you know, making a name for myself in the triad, you know, and started hanging out and started seeing how Sound Machine was doing. And I was just like, yo, he's he's just nice. Like, he was just nice with it. That, that's all it was. He wasn't using no magic. Uh, you know, he was one of the last DJs at jams to still be mixing with vinyl. Uh, and this was the era when Serato was really coming by storm and sound machine was still doing vinyl on, on jams. And this is also a time we could still get, you know, you still get all the new music still serviced, uh, um, on vinyl. Yeah. Digiwax and all the other providers were still sending promo 12 inches. And this was back mm -hmm. when you still had your milk crates or records. You probably had it organized yep. by either BPM genre alphabetical or whatever organizational system that the dj had and you yeah. really had to know your stuff and that's the school of djing you came up in where you had to come up the old yeah fashion. yeah polo kept the crater records at jams at all times and the only djs that the only dj that knew how to play out of that crate was polo because every single record uh sounded like you were frying bacon and all of them had a skip and and for some reason Polo knew how to get around them skips, but no other DJ could. <laughs> so none of us really touched that crate, but except for Polo, except when he needed it, you know? Yeah. So who's the one DJ that really taught you the master of mixing, transition, and how to rock a party? Um, It, it was a combination of a lot of DJs. Uh, my first the first DJ that really showed me how to do nightclubs was DJ Sal, um, who lived in Gates County. And Sal lived around the corner from me. 
And, you, and what I mean around the corner, I could walk to his house in under five minutes. I could probably run in maybe a minute. Like that's how close his house was to me. And if you know anything about Gates County or anything about Eastern North Carolina, there was no such thing as walking to somebody's house. You had to beg your parents to drive you to somebody's house, but I could walk to his house. Um, and he was the one, you know, I, you know, that was the one that I earned my DJ stripes. You know, I was carrying the records in for him because I wanted to learn. I was carrying the records in. I was watching him DJ all night, you know, and I would stay there at the end of the night and I'll help him load up. And we would, you know, get back in the car and drive back home. He had a Chevy Cavalier and we would load that thing with records, <laughs> go to the party and come back. So, uh, he was the one that, 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 that kind of solidified club club for me when it, when it came to radio, it was a combination of J flex and deluxe. Um, those were, the, those were the two that really, when I started doing radio and really started, um, especially flex flex really taught me the ropes and how to do radio. Right. Cause by that time I was a club DJ and I didn't really know nothing about radio, you know, but you know, flex was the OG in the building. And, uh, you know, he really taught me how to, how to make, make myself still sound like earn, but within the constraints of radio, which is difficult for a lot of DJs. Yeah. And, uh, what would you say was the biggest transition for you going from, nightclub dj where you got your high energy you're playing the records that's going to get a bit pop as opposed to radio when you're condensed by you got to have a mix that's x amount of minutes long you got breaks stop sets and then of course everything has to be radio edited um uh when i got on when i got on jams i when i when i well when even when i got serato and when i started djing i got to a point where i said I need to start cleaning, just have my music clean. Uh, so when I was doing my music, even back in, this is like 06, I was grabbing clean music just because I thought, eh, I'm not doing radio, but I don't know if I need it. I might need it one day. I might not. But just to be safe, I'll download it. So I started in 06, and by the time I got on jams in probably – in September of 08 was my first time already I had been collecting music and I had been getting a backlog for two years so I was kind of already set uh you know that that part was 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 already set in place the, the thing about doing the radio is knowing the hit records and knowing what songs to be played where and knowing protections and how to move within your me because with radio you kind of you kind of limited in your in, in in your in what you can play but this is also uh this can go into a whole deep rabbit hole about programming and there's usually two forms of programming when it comes to radio mix shows you have one we have one side where the dj is basically a free-for-all where you will hear any and every record on earth and usually time it is not good. And then you hear the other side where the program director has restricted the DJ so much that the only music that you hear is what they play in regular rotation. Luckily at jams with Brian Douglas, Brian, um, he allowed us to be expressive within the constraints 
and just as long as you were getting the records in and made it sound like the thing that he always said is make it sound like the radio. You make it sound like the radio, you can get away with it. And that's what we did. Yeah, so it almost kind of sound like you all had the freedom to play with the records, kind of like how Mr. Magic, Marley Maul with the Rap Attack and Total mm-hmm. Control, Marley Maul, and then what Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out was doing on 98.7 Kiss and what was going on out west, 1580 K-Day with Dr. Dre mm-hmm. and the K-Day Mixmasters, but mm-hmm. within the confinements of being within traditional radio because if you and i know being students of radio back in those days it was where rap was segregated from daytime rotation they put yeah. it on only on weekends and after hours to where it wouldn't affect mm-hmm. the ratings yeah yeah and, and that was one of the big that was one of the big issues with a lot of with a lot of urban acs at that time was they were afraid of rap music because they were afraid they were going to alienate their their older audience you know whereas the kids wanted the hip hop and they wanted to rap and they couldn't get it on the radio. And a lot of times when, uh, you know, when a lot of these stations were playing rap music, it was stuff that the kids already knew. They were very familiar with it because they were hearing it in the streets and in the records and in the clubs, uh, you know, with their friends. So the radio was always kind of taking a back seat. And then you had the pioneers of the, you know, of urbans that, that said, hey, wait a minute, let's let's go for the kids and let's not do this whole, well, we ain't going to play rap music or this state or no rap whatsoever. You know, you, you've heard those promos, you know, we never play rap. No rap. You know, da 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 da, you know, because that was their marketing point. We're not, you know, basically saying we're not for the kids, you know, but, you know, as as you as well as I know, you know, the kids, especially that that eight, that that 14 to 18 demo is crucial if you want listeners you know mm-hmm. yeah which baffled me when um i saw the dvd for uh power 1490 it was the am station out in tucson that uh-huh. Dub worked at and how they had the opportunity to take that am put it on the clean fm signal but the company decided, nah, we're going to go into a rock direction. But I'm like, if you would have put that station on an FM stick, you're in a college town too, the ratings would have been mm-hmm. crazy. Well, one of the reasons why 1490 worked was that they had no competition. You know, it was, yeah, it was on an AM signal, but they had no competition. So they had no competition. It, 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 it sort of worked. Same thing, you know, well, you know, this is, same thing happened with K-Day. K-Day, K-Day worked great because there was no other station playing hip-hop in L.A. Mm, yeah, when you're the only game in town, you pretty mm-hmm. much can do what you want, but once somebody else comes knocking, that's when you yeah, usually sort of do something different. Yeah, the death the death nail for AM was FM. Let's be real. I mean, it, it's all, it, it always is. So, you know, if if people can get a better product with better fidelity, static free, they're gonna they're gonna choose FM over AM every time. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, Ern, but um, Gilbert Bays from uh, Channel Five and WTVD. Did you know that mm-hmm. he used to be in radio? No, I did not know that. Um, there was a video, I guess, on his Facebook of him mixing, doing a mix of "Stay by the Controllers," and it was to where he had posted. I guess he did radio down in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. And this was pre-Foxy 99. And oh, wow. it was the same situation like with 
Foxy 107 and K97, that when Foxy 99 came in with their big stick, pun intended, that mm -hmm. they ended up wiping that other station that he was working on out the water. No matter how good your presentation is, the bigger sounding station with the biggest signal always wins. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, kids were gravitating to FM because one, they were more freeform. A lot of times the AM stations were, oh, that's my dad's station. I ain't listening to that, you know. But the the FM stations were more freeform. They were, you know, they were lively. They had the young jocks on because they didn't have to pay them. The, the owners didn't have to pay them much money. And and then all of a sudden they like, oh, we can actually make money and really go, go, go with FM. And we're going to, you know, kind of do away with these little AM stations. Mm -hmm. Now, there's the air check that I think you probably would dig once you find it. It's of an AM station out of, I want to say, Baltimore or somewhere in Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, DJ Jeffrey C. I think it was 1280 AM WEBB. And he does this mix of LL Cool J's I'm Bad, but he takes splices of different records to make it sound all cohesive. Like he took part of the be all you can be ad campaign from the army put, mm -hmm. that in, put that in the mix and took comedy bits and it was just like amazing to hear what those djs pre-digital were doing with their mixes because you got to think about it them doing all that work on real to reels and having yep. the splice tapes and the editing block and to think that all you know what's funny is work I... went into making those mixes <laughs> I have a splicing block, believe it or not. So go ahead and show us. Go ahead and show us this old relic. Hold on, let me find it right quick. For those that don't know, Earn is a collector, a radio curator, a preservist of all things radio. So what he's about to show was what folks used to do prior to I, I have a smaller, this is actually a modern splicing block, um, but it's very basic. I mean, it's literally... You literally slide the tape into the block and then you use a razor blade and try not to cut myself and just, just a little razor blade. And you, you know, you slide the, you slide the tape inside and you just cut it like that. And you get a little, little piece of tape and you just cut your tape, you know, cut your, cut your edits together and you either dub them on the cart or reel to reels and out of frame. I got, <laughs> I got cart machines and reel to reels. Hold on. Here's uh, and here's the evidence. I was literally messing with my cart machine earlier, and this is the evidence. Uh, my oh, my cart machine got a little hungry today, oh, and, a little hangry. and yeah, and it ate ate one of my tastes. But that's a cart, um, and you know you had different brands. You had you know your these. This is actually a more modern tape. This one was probably made around 2005. This is a later generation tape. What? This is probably the latest generation cart you can ever find. Hold on, you said that was made in 05. Yeah, this is about 2005. Man, I thought carts went away back in the mid-90s. No, 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 no. You can still buy them. A lot of radio stations got got off carts once once digital became of prominence. Mm. Um, so we're talking, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. But there were a lot of radio stations up until the early mid-2000s that were a mix of cart and CDs. 102 Jams was. Wow, I did not 102 know Jams, yeah. 102 Jams was still on carts up until the early 2000s. Now with carts, um, is is there a cap on how many times a cart can get used when you're doing commercials and everything before 
it says uh we can't use it anymore it's been erased one too many times no no um well i would say yes but in the scheme of things the the tape will will, will last a incredibly long time with the, with a number of erases and with with the tape just as long as it it doesn't deteriorate it, it it'll still play just fine Wow. Yeah, because what I found amazing was uh, you had shared with me some old carts from various radio stations that still sounded like they were produced on the in the production room just yesterday. Yeah, like this cart is probably 40 years old. Wow. And it, it sounds just fine. Yeah, it sounds just fine. The only thing that goes bad with these carts are um, the pressure pads wear out. Wow. And those are easy to replace. Wow. Now with carts, how long do you think it would take a production person to take commercials and put them onto the cart? Does it vary on the person that's doing the the dubbing or it, is it a uh, very much a science within itself? It, it's a science within itself, but I mean every every person has their has their style and it, you know, if they're good, they can probably you know, you know, dub out a cart probably in 10 minutes or less, wow. you know, they're, they're not, they're not difficult to dub. You know, you're, you know, if you're doing a one minute spot, you know, and you're putting it on a 70 second cart, then all you got to do is hit play on your, your reel to reel, or even in some of more modern stations, your CD player and dub it to the cart in real time wow. or, or open up the microphone, talk for 60 seconds and the cart is recorded. Hmm. So with carts, with stop sets, did most radio stations put all their stop sets on one cart or did they have multiple carts for their stop sets? No, they put them on multiple carts. So what, what a lot of radio stations did is they, they had what they had called a, a triple decker cart machine. And a triple decker, if you look in the, the, the clip of, uh, I believe it's K-Day with Russ Parr, mm -hmm. you will see that they're using a triple decker. He's got multiple triple decker cart machines. So what he'll do is he'll load all the commercials into each in each commercials on its own cart and he will put them all in order put them all in order and he will press play and depending on the station um the carts will either automatically seg as they go down as they as one cart ends the next one automatically play and the next one automatically play and then when he's ready at the end of a stop set he'll turn it off and that last cart will play and he'll go back into music now, did the engineer have to create that trigger in the car, or yes. did some parts come automatically with that trigger feature? Well, well, you have a well, you have to lay down what they call a Q tone, and when you lay down a Q tone, that tells the cart machine when to stop. Um, and then from there, the engineer will have to wire up the cart machine to the console, and then if he was, uh you know, tenacious enough, he would wire the, the cart machines so that they would seg each other so that they would make a segue mm. now between, me, between carts so that the, the, the jock didn't have to fire off every cart manually. Yeah. Now let's explain to the people who don't know radio and broadcasting terminology, what a stop set is. Oh, I thought you were going to define it. <laughs> no, 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 oh. no. I, I was just going to say, hey, this is radio education. With, with oh, I mean, a stop I, set. I know my stuff, but. I mean, I in, in layman term, a layman term, a stop set is you're stopping the music to play commercials or stopping the music to play something else that's not music is, is really what boils down to what a stop set is. Mm -hmm. And typically most stop sets tend to be maybe, what, 15 minutes or so? No, 
No, no, no, no, no. No, your average stop set is, I would say nowadays about five minutes on average. Mm, five five you, minutes stop set. Yeah. Most, uh, nowadays, a lot of more, you know, if you're in major markets, you'll, you'll have a seven, you'll have a seven minute stop set or eight minute stop set easily. And a lot of times they'll do two per hour. So they're stopping the they're stopping the music about seven to you know about fifteen minutes per hour, mm-hmm. but each individual stop set is about seven minutes. And there's a few programmers that that have kind of went against the grain and said we're gonna do two minute stop sets once an hour, and that's it. Wow, you two know stop sets once an hour. So uh huh, that's that's crazy. So let's talk about how critical and crucial nightclubs were to radio advertisement when nightclubs were still a thing and how if you had that commission you <laughs> were living lovely oh um i'm like urban radio nightclubs were 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 in some markets they were they were the bread and butter nightclubs and car dealers uh you know they were they were how they, they were making and breaking salespeople. You know, you had, you know, especially you, you as well as I know, CIAA homecoming, um, you know, towards the end of the really popular nightclub era, like every stop set was nightclub, nightclub, nightclub. And it got to the point where CIAA, um, the club promoters in Charlotte was buying ads on jams in Greensboro and you can't even hear jams in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, but but you know people were gonna make that what ninety minute drive from Greensboro yep. to Charlotte yeah. for CRWA. Yeah. So why not purchase airtime because they're gonna come drive down eighty five anyway. Mm-hmm. And there was times when uh you know Horse Rainey uh, has told me many a times that they've done live club broadcasts in Raleigh. You know the promoters would go buy airtime on you know would buy a club remote on jams and they were you know like okay you can pick up jams in Raleigh but it's not clear. Yeah, so it's kind of like on the fringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely on the fringe. Now, like I was saying, with you growing up in Gates County, most of your radio listening ship came from the Tidewater area, 103 Jams and mm-hmm. all the stations around there. So can we just talk about the impact of 103 Jams and what they meant for radio in and around the Tidewater area of VA? Oh, Oh man, Wowie was was a major force. Was a major force in Tidewater radio and hip hop. Man, I remember Brian Douglas telling me, you know, that that Wowie was 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 one of the was one of the more influential urbans out there at that time. You know, um, Wowie was a monster. You know, every every DJ that was on Wowie was was amazing. I mean, like the air checks that I have from Wowie is crazy. Um, there were so many urbans that went up against Wowie and lost. That is ridiculous. I mean, like so many broadcasters tried and failed to to get some of that listenership off Wowie and, and couldn't do it. Yeah, that just shows you how 103 is a staple or stronghold within mm-hmm. the Tidewater area as far as hip-hop and R&B goes. And, of course, they got the early crack at everything that came out of that area, Timberland, Missy, mm-hmm. all of them, with them being homegrown from the Tidewater area. Yeah, fun fact, Steve Hedgewood tried and failed with uh, Hot 102.1, uh, WWHV. Well, at that time, it was WWHV. And... Um, he 
he had he went he tried to go against uh 103 or Huawei and mm-hmm. and failed and what's wild is 20 years later after you know his his first venture went belly up he bought his old station back and flipped it to urban and now he's going against Huawei again wow yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost kind of feels like that one time. You probably know what station I'm talking about. I can't remember the station frequency or the calls, but it was short-lived. It was, I think it was a, at the time, Clear Channel station was trying to go up against 102. It had like a urban presentation. It was rhythmic. It didn't last. Hey, you talking long. about in, in Greensboro? Yeah, it didn't last. Yeah, that was, that was 94.5 The Beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah 94.5 to be um they they started as a straight up and down urban and then they went rhythmic uh rhythmic top 40 before they fill up formats and went hispanic um they 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 didn't have a chance to be honest mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't have a chance um uh you know well brian is a fierce competitor and when he found out that they were going against jams of course he 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 opened the floodgates on them so they didn't they didn't really have a chance. So but a lot of times the goal a lot of times the goal of a competitor is usually to pull the ratings down so that it can bring another station in the cluster up. Mm, so that's kinda, usually the goal of so a competitor. So it's kind of acting like a booster for for another station in the cluster. Yeah. So a lot of times, a lot of times nowadays, this ain't this ain't this ain't the the radio of old where everybody was competing against each other. Uh, modern day radio, a lot of times, if, if there's a format flip and it's against a a long established station, it's usually to pull enough listeners away to bring another station up in their cluster. Mm-hmm. While we uh, Clear Channel Norfolk is is notorious for that. I mean, iHeart Norfolk is notorious for that. They they do it a lot. Everything, everything in that cluster is to protect Huawei. Everything is to protect Huawei. Because mm, they pretty much know that that's the bread and butter. That's the heritage mm-hmm. station. Nobody's going to come in, take that mm-hmm. audience. They got their seat at the table, planet mm-hmm. Earth. Yep. When, you know, this was also back in the competitive era when, when Steve Hedgewood came into town with, with Hot 102.1, um, I, Clear Channel at that time, they immediately flipped. 92.1 which was running uh urban they were they were simulcasting their uh their urban ac in the building so it became 92.1 the beat we're blazing hip-hop and they're they're they were programmed really aggressively hip-hop i mean no r&b very little r&b they were playing all the hip-hop records um and hot 102 point Hot 102.1 was they were a more aggressive version of Wowie. So they were playing they were playing R and B records, but they were a little bit more aggressive on the hip hop. So when ninety two point one the beat came on, they were really hip hop. Like they were playing like you would hear your KRS ones and your Rock Hems and your and they played all the Southern hip hop. They were playing and this was the diplomats era. They were playing all the diplomats music. You know, all that really street New York music they were playing, Project Pat, they were playing all this street music from Memphis and Atlanta. You would it was the only place you could hear like Killer Mike and Lil John. And all these records were playing on ninety two point one the beat. But why are we kind of wasn't playing? They were playing it, but you know, they were only playing at night. You know, and, and hot was hot one oh two point one, they were playing it all day long as well. So 
uh, when Steve Hedgewood's company went bankrupt and he sold Hot 102.1 to Red Zebra Broadcasting, the guy that owns the Redskins, um, the day after they flipped formats, no, it wasn't the day. I think, I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday when Hot 102.1 flipped formats and went sports from, from hip-hop. They failed. Uh, 92.1 to beat lasted three more days. And then they flipped it to adult contemporary. It was like light 92.1 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was some terrible format. They lost like, I think 92.1 was holding around a three, 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 five share in the market. And I think their first book after being AC was like a point two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they got rid of all their listening audience, but the goal was to protect Wowie. And that's what it did. So as soon as the threat was gone, they got rid of the radio station. Wow. Now, you mentioned Brian Douglas. Brian Douglas, legend in the world of radio, oh came yes. from WAP, the Big Ape, down in Jacksonville. I was curious if he ever told you the story of why 97.1 flipped from Urban to Urban AC. Yeah. They were owned by the same company. That was Max Media, right, at the time? Yeah. Yeah, that's the simple that's the simple reason there <laughs> they you know uh uh let's see they were owned by the uh by the pogue family 90, yeah 97 one was owned by the pogue family and uh when they sold when they sold to max media they you had 102 jams and and qmg in the, the same umbrella so to help kind of fix things they leaned they leaned uh QMG more urban AC and you know jams stayed on doing what they were always doing hmm. yeah because I kind of thought that 97.1 would still be the urban because it was, it's always been an urban station correct mm-hmm. were there any other format before urban or were they always heritage urban uh, QMG is a you could call them a heritage urban uh, QMG when it came on the air was classical music um, and then later on, as they kind of evolved, it became classical music during the day and um, urban. Well, at that time, urban at night. We were talking about the seventies here, so it would have been urban at night. Ah, and yeah. oh, I, I was going to mention that it almost kind of sounded like what Nickelodeon did, where it was Nickelodeon from this time mm-hmm. to about eight, and then after eight, they would switch to Nick at Night or like what Cartoon mm-hmm. Network would do with Cartoon Network and then Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. But the big station in the building was Big Wheel. A.M. That was in the building. They were hot top 40 at that time. So, yeah, QMG was there, but the priority in the building was Big Wheel up until the 80s. Mm. What and then it flipped. You said top 40. Top, they were top, top 40. 40. Top 40. So yeah. were they kind of almost sort of similar to what hot hits were in some markets where mm-hmm. it would be super tight, play maybe mm-hmm. top five, top 10 records every hour, no recurrence? Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. For those of you that don't know what recurrence are, recurrence are oldies songs that have charted but are no longer on the charts because some stations, will, when they use the hot hits formula, their whole mindset of was... When you tune in, you're going to hear a hit no matter what time you turn in because if you hear a stiff or a bomb, that's going to tune everybody out and that's going to drop your TSL in your queue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. 
Yeah, drop your TSL and your QM. Now, uh, as far as hip-hop spots in and around Northeastern North Carolina, did most people end up going to the Tidewater area to go do their night clubbing since Gates County out in that area, there wasn't really no nightclubs per se? There was there was nightclubs in 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 the two five two. There were all hole in the walls though. There were hole in the wall clubs and liquor houses. So if you you know if you wanted to you know go to the club that your that your uncle that your uncle went to, then of course you 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 would go over to the liquor house. But you know if you really wanted to party, of course you would go to the to the seven five seven or or Greenville. Now, for those that don't know what the liquor house is, the liquor house <laughs> is the nightclub <laughs> where you would hear. Southern soul. It's an acquired well, taste. Yeah, well, sure. and, and that, you know, you got to think in the 80s and 90s, you know, it was in Southern soul. It was just, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, we're talking early 70s or soul music. You know, we're talking your Otis Reddings and your early Aretha Franklins and your, your you know, your Little Richards and your Clarence Carters and, you know, um, what's some other ones? Uh, Johnny Taylor and uh, other artists like that. Mm-hmm. You won't really hear Motown. Motown really wasn't popular in the liquor houses. Mm-mm. Yeah, and how like our area in C and of course parts of South Side VA was instrumental in the chilling circuit. How they would mm-hmm. stop through Weldon, Runner Rapids, Petersburg, made that drive and perform in those venues because of course at that time you couldn't perform at certain big city venues because of this little R word. Look up the history books. You probably would know about it. But um, you know, just how that particular genre of music sovereign soul is still it's like go-go where it still has this regional fan base and if you want to you can still make good money touring in and around the region based on this one particular genre of music that has a regional stronghold yeah southern soul is basically (laughs) gospel music for secular people <laughs> Gospel music. <laughs> Southern soul has its roots in gospel music. You can't tell me it don't. Yeah, you can't you, tell me it don't. You ain't, you ain't lying. Gospel music for secular people. Talk about stroking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know what's wild is you you'll see it so many times. They come out of church, and uh, you know it's yeah, it's on. You know, you know, take me to my side piece. Mm, yeah, no, stuff I mean, like that. Yeah, got man, my I, liquor and got my whiskey. Yeah, go to that hole in the wall. Yeah, seven o'clock in the morning, and she's still mm-hmm. in there. I'm, I'm still telling you, Ern, you need to get with Pokey Bear and do a side piece. Of this, man. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, good. Yeah, man. But um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, you know, hip hop this year is officially fifty years old, and mm-hmm. we've been seeing a lot of festivities going on, celebrating the 50th of hip-hop. Please keep that same energy up after this year, by the way. And uh, what's your take on seeing the genre that started out as a back-to-school party in a basement at 1520 Cedric Avenue to where it's the most popular genre of music in the world and how at 50, everybody is wanting to get in bed with hip-hop, corporate or not? Um, it's, It's interesting to see where it evolved. It is very very interesting to see where it's evolved 
you know, hip hop is very commercialized now, so it it still has its its origins and its roots, depending on you know who you listen to. You know, a lot of people think that you know Sexy Red and Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion is the voice of hip hop, but it's not. Like we've always had artists like that, even back in the beginning of time, there were artists like that. So, so to say that, oh yeah, hip, all hip hop is trash now. Well, no, there's definitely some good hip hop left. You know, you can just look. You know, we can always. The easy example is J Cole. You know, that's the very easy example right there. Like there's still good good hip hop, and after seeing uh, Dreamville Festival uh, this year, like yeah. Yeah, good hip hop still exists and people will still come out for Dreamville Fest. That was, uh, I think they said the attendance was somewhere around 100,000 people. And that was the Dorothea Dix, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I believe Ursher made an appearance at at the Dreamville Festival and it was just announced as of the recording of this podcast that he's going to be the Super Bowl halftime show performer. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, Usher was there. He performed, uh, I think was not good love. It was whatever single he he performed a single brand new there, and you know it became a hit. But yeah, I was I was there for Usher that night. Yeah, Usher Usher puts on a show. Everybody there put on a show. The the, the what's interesting is you know it was a hip hop show, and you know we talk about different artists and what what they contributed. You know, Waka Flocka set will go down in history. I will just say that. Walker Flocker, that man put on a show, believe it or not. So you had flashbacks to the Rib Shack and all the <laughs> ratchet nightclubs in and around the street, especially when hard in the paint. Yeah. Song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was wild. Like, like that man has energy. And, you know, what's wild is Walker's a rapper. A lot of people don't realize that Walker is a rapper. That guy is incredibly it or not you know he he dumps down his music but you know he he dumbed down his music to make it to make it relevant for his audience he knew his audience and he knew what they wanted and he brought them that yeah which, which is which is wild and looking at the bt awards and how when they did their tribute set to hip-hop based on the various regions and times in hip-hop how i'm appreciating the fact now that even though I hated it at the time, the snap error is starting to get its love, even though I hated Laffy Taffy. The first <laughs> time I heard it, probably was at Alexander Devereaux's or Rip Shack or Hood Locker or somewhere, that, um, you know, now when you throw that on, people start leaning, rocking, and snapping. You know, you know, sometimes we don't realize we're living the best times of our life when we're living the best times of our life. And I think about the, the snap music era and how much we try to hate it. But my God, you put that song on now, it uh, the whole party's going up. You know, especially folks my age. You know, I say, I always say, you know, back in the day, you know, Young Jeezy and Gucci, man. Yeah, that was the, that was the shoot them up, you know, drug dealer music. But now that's the 401k music, you know. Yeah. That's the drive, that's your drive your kids to work. You know, that's the, that's the, I'm going to work music now. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, when I heard <laughs> Snowfall, I shed a tear because it brought me back to Gangsta Grizzles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the I have stable income music now. You know, you know, you throw on some uh, some some classic Gucci, man. 
you know you're like oh my goodness you know i yeah, got a stable income now yeah, i mean even soldier boy and now swag yeah. surfing. i mean you throw on swag surfing everybody mm-hmm. starts swagging and surfing and being clean like this detergent <laughs> yes they do yes they definitely, yeah. definitely that was an do. error Woo, that was an error what and a time what, to be alive yeah yeah yeah, and, you know, that, swag surfing and never it was one of those songs that's never gonna get old. This is a staple. It's n- never gonna get old. Nah, because for the couple times that I did go out in the track, man, it was a time. I'm, I'm telling you, long white tees, um, button up shirts. Yes, yes, the business casual era. Yeah, a couple. Of we were talking about that. We were supposed to talk about that yesterday. Like, we can't believe we went into club with business casual attire. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I remember there's one picture of um, Chris Lee, formerly known as Show Smooth now. You can see him on WRAL doing his thing with sports. Um, he, I, some other folks, we were at, I want to say, Alexander Devros, I want to say, because he was doing something for MTVU. And mm-hmm. I had on my Sean John button-up shirt, thinking I was fresh to death. And Chris had on this, this little thing looking like... B2K backup, I don't know. But um, you know, it was it was just a time. And can we talk about how the nightclub life has changed has changed since then and how maybe social media has probably paid a part into that as to where, you know, yes, the younger generation now, their version of clubbing and dancing is different from when we were coming up. Okay. So when when I came up in the clubs, there was no such thing as social media. Yeah, MySpace and Facebook existed, but it wasn't like it is now where you can find out what people are doing in real time. You know, you, yeah, you had your cell phone on you. You know, people had their cell phone, but they won't know. You won't log in on Facebook or Instagram like, hey, let me snap a picture of the party popping. You usually found out the, the day after when people started, you know, when people went to picture man, <laughs> <laughs> uploaded a couple of pictures to his Facebook or his MySpace. You know, because there was no such thing as mobile web. If you had a text message, you were doing great. If you could get pictures, you were doing even better. And this was 06, you know. So a lot of times, you know, there used to be, you know, you could promote a party and folks would show up just because you promoted it. They weren't sitting on social media waiting for it. Oh, yeah, the club popping. Let's go. You know, you you went and you didn't know if it was popping until you got there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and a lot of times you're like, well, eh, I'm here. I'm going to just go ahead, you know, drink a little bit, you know, hopefully it'll do good. If not, I'm going to just go to the next spot. Yeah, because there were chances that you end up at a dull party at, let's say, Atlantis Cafe. And if the party was Atlantis popping, was ne- first of all, first of all, Atlantis was never dull. Atlantis I've never, never been to Atlantis. Never dull. Tell, yeah. tell me about Atlantis. I was one of those See, ones that what's wild is, like you know, that. I say I say Atlantis was never dull, and that was one of the only early generation clubs. I, I think I set foot in Atlantis maybe three times. But, you know, talking to everybody in the city at that time, Atlantis was always popping. If Atlantis was open, it was popping. Yeah, so you had Atlantis, Alexander Devros, Lotus, mm-hmm. Jeffs, Red. Lotus... Lotus jabs were later on in the era. This wasn't Lotus wasn't Lotus wasn't Atlantis era. Okay. Uh in club. In club in club was was around during Atlantis, but at that time they weren't really catering to our people. Uh, in yeah. club didn't really start catering towards us towards their end. Yeah, I know what you I know what you did there. And uh I know Rumble Latina was another spot that was oh popular my God. among Rumble- 
college night on Thursday Rumba, nights. Rumba Latina was you didn't know if you were gonna fall through the floor. <laughs> Cause that floor, like every time everybody got up to that floor was so shaky, felt like that building was going to collapse at any moment. Sounds like it was condemned from the beginning. Nobody decided, oh, let's shut this building down. Yeah, nah, yeah. I could do that. Yeah, if a couple of college kids that. die, that's what it is. <laughs> if they die, they, they die. Yeah. Yeah, but also too, around this era, college parties were popping too. I mean, at UNCG, you had the parties going on in the calm ballroom. And mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. had that particular spot on campus. Winston Salem had that particular spot on campus. And then Pancho we- Villa and everything else mm-hmm. over there. And, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, cheap still cheap season was Greensboro. And then also being in close proximity to the triangle, you can make a short drive up forty and go to whatever was popping in and around the triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times, a lot of times the, co- the college kids didn't. Um, you know, when I was when I was DJing at, at Five Away, aka the Rib Shack, we had a lot of people that were coming in from Durham and uh, you know a lot of the towns in between Durham and Greensboro. You know, your hills, your, your um, let's say your Sour City and uh, Burlington and um, what's some other towns in there? You know, Whitsett. You know, up north, you have Reedsville. South, you have folks from Asheboro coming, you know, because it really wasn't nothing, nowhere to party in those towns. So they would come, they would come up all the time. So we used to see, we used to see folks from out of town, you know, and even, you know, what's wild is folks from Winston would come to Greensboro to party, but folks from Greensboro would not go to Winston to party. Mm, which, which is odd because Greensboro, Winston is about a 30 to 45 minute drive, depending mm, about on 30, how, fa- how 30. fast you drive. But that's yeah. odd how you say one wouldn't come to the other town to go club. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. there a particular yeah. reason why? I have no idea. Well, first off, um, the old saying is, you know, Winston, if you do a party in Winston, it will go one of two ways. It will be one of the greatest parties you ever DJ. Or one of the absolute worst parties you were ever DJ. Um, my boy KB, he he swears up and down that the uh, there that the folks in Winston are crazy because you got the Texas Pete hot sauce in the air and uh, Krispy Kreme donuts in the air. So the combination of Krispy Kreme and hot sauce makes everybody in Winston crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those founded in Winston-Salem. <laughs> both of them founded in Winston-Salem, and both of them are still here to this day. Yeah, and they probably got a little bit of that MLK in the air, too. If you know Winston-Salem, you know MLK, then you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the crazy thing about Winston, you know, is kind of sort of seeing, you know, what Nick Cannon has done from the time coming on Nickelodeon the way he is now with Matt Singer. And of course, knowing that he has connections to NC and of course the triad with him getting B-Dot, Chico Bean, Darren Big Baby Brand on Wildin' Out and seeing oh, those yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yo, I remember seeing B-Dot at Arizona Pete's trying out his stand-up set. And then I would come around 102 a, a little bit from time to time when, uh, Chris was interning there. So see, so seeing them and then seeing, of course, like I said, the 85 South show with Chico, DC Youngfly, Carlos Miller, and to sort of see how Chico, Vida, and Big Baby 
all came up in and around the triad on the comedy scene and to see them on there i was like yo that's that's crazy yeah they used to have this thing at uh, uh in greensboro called the uh freestyle funny comedy show i think it was once a month where all of them were would get together and do stand-up comedy and from there they really all of them just just blew up incredibly it was it was nice yeah. i miss freestyle funny I tell, I've told Dot a few times, hey, man, you need to bring, figure out how to bring that back. Yeah, and it almost kind of seems like the triad is a good fertile training ground for you to launch on to your next endeavor. Because the one yeah. thing you can, like how we mentioned Brian Douglas earlier, the one thing I can say about Brian Douglas, even though I never interned in and around Odyssey, formerly known as Intercom, he always knew how to spot talent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We have Brian has, has cultured some incredible talent over the years. Yeah. You know, I believe Terrence J came through there one point mm-hmm. before going to one Oh six in park. Now the funny thing about Terrence J, right. You know, reading his biography and of course you and I knowing D train, what up D train. And to just hear the story of how he was working at soul 92. And I believe he was also working at some spot in golden East. And it just said, like, yo, he's from Rocky Mount, which was just, like, 45 minutes up the road from, you know, where the radio station is. And, you know, we could go on with, you know, Buster Brown, Amos Quick, Africa, mm-hmm. Chris, Morgan McKenzie, Tasha McKee, Delight. Um, who, who am I missing from uh, 102 that Brian Douglas has put on? You can fit, fit oh, you got, you got to remember Tap Money and oh, yeah. Kyle Santillian, and also Wiley Coyote, too. Yep, um, you know, you also got Boogie D, Uzi D, um, somebody else I'm missing, Big Lip Bandit, um, Mary Kay, uh, the Mad Hatter, yep, yep. All those are, 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 are OGs, and all of them have done incredible things in radio. Yeah. Just leaving jams. Yeah. So can we talk about the legacy impact of uh, Buster Brown? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Buster. Oh, man. See, see, Buster was there. Buster was at, I didn't get the jams until after Buster w- w- was already gone. But by the time, by that time, I was, I was coming in and Buster, I think Buster was on QMG. So a lot of the Buster Brown era, I didn't really know because I was I was kind of in the area, but I didn't really know about uh, what Buster Brown is doing. And I hang out with Buster. I've hang out with Buster several times, and we've always you know went down memory lane. <laughs> Buster's a good dude. He's still on the air here in the area. Uh, real good dude, you know. But but Buster was legendary. I mean, he was a jams legend. Like he was, he was the OG of OGs. Like when it came to, when it came to, to, to just being on the air at jams and, and just the legacy that he left. Yeah. Cause I think it was on a YouTube channel. I think it might've been yours. It was a promo spot for uh one Oh two, where they were doing mm-hmm. a money giveaway. It was yeah. Busta Africa and Amos quick. Yeah. And just to see how a lot of people who were from the triad grew up, their whole lives listening to Buster on 102, then the transition over to QMG, and now on his current endeavor, still in triad, and how, you know, you got generations of kids that grew up listening to this one guy, and how mm-hmm. radio doesn't breed them like that anymore. Yeah, yeah, and and, and Buster has a non-profit organization where he's actually um, 
doing uh, radio courses and training for for kids if they're interested. It was very cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely very dope. And it was like how for me, K97 was always that benchmark station for me because I always grew up listening to Cy Young, Thomas mm-hmm. Hill, Chris Connors, the late Wax Master Tory, mm-hmm. uh, DBS, DY Nasty, Brian Dawson, and how I always heard growing up K97, K97. K97. I told Cy Young when I interviewed him, I was like, because of y'all, I know Pull Up to My Bumper by Grace Grace Jones because you all <laughs> would use that as your instrumental bid for talk breaks and for traffic. Yeah. Roadhog. What was my what was the one that they always used? Uh yeah, yeah. There was another one that they used all the time too. Um, it was I think it was Herman Kelly and Life's Dance to the Drummer's Beat. Cause I remember hear them using that a lot around I want to say nine between No, 90, it was it was Jive Rhythm Tracks. That was it. Jive Rhythm Tracks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By uh I'm looking it up now, Wilson Dodgers. I think that's it. Hmm. If yeah, I probably vaguely I mean re- you'll probably have to delete this part if I play it back through you. <laughs> Yeah, don't even play that because we don't want the copyright folks to find it. I'm Look a, it up all in your own time. But um, either way, it just kind of shows you how with the yeah, radio it was jive, yeah, Will Wilson Dodgers jive rhythm tracks. That was the one they yeah. played that during every music bed. Yeah, that is that is crazy. And I remember with uh, Foxy too before Tom Jordan came on in the market. They had their own morning show, the Foxy Morning Show. I think it was Cy yep. Young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Sarah Vaughn, I want to say, was the female alongside Cy Young. Then they had comedian Terry Tuck. Uh huh. I know Kat Summers, I think she was over at K97 or Foxy. I can't remember, but Kat Summers was, was, was over there too. Yeah. And how can we talk about how K97 was, it still is. A pillar station within the triangle. Talk about their their impact and their legacy in the Raleigh Durham market. Well, um, I mean they they they've like I said they've been there forever. They were they were almost a heritage station. They've been that. Actually, I don't even know what they were in South Boston. I, I I have no idea. Um, but they're they're a definitely legacy station, and they have a a lot of history down there with all their jocks and stuff. You know, eventually, you know, originally they were a Clear Channel station, and then they then then Radio One purchased them. And uh, gosh, I don't have a lot. Of, <laughs> I don't have a lot of the oral history of K ninety seven to be honest with you. So when you say they were a Clear Channel station, that means their signal could get heard. No, they were. All- they were owned by the company Clear Channel. Oh, owned by oh yeah, owned by yeah, Clear so, Channel now iHeart. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So they yeah, so they're originally Clear Channel, uh, the the company. And when there was the AMF and merger and JCore, which owned uh like WTRG one hundred point seven WRDU and G one hundred five and all those stations, they sold. They sold um that cluster of four stations that they had at the time, which was K97.5, Fox C, 103.9, and they had an AM station to build into, which was uh, 1490. Mm-hmm. They sold those to Radio 1, and then, well, they sold the FMs to Radio 1 and then spun off the AM to, somebody, to some other company. Right. Some other company came in and bought the AM. Right. 
And I don't know if you know this, but um, DJ Nabs is originally from NC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, from Durham. Yeah, from from Durham. And I did not know that because actually there's a YouTube air check of um it was want to say 85 it was on knc magic 88 nc state mm-hmm. radio station yeah of uh him mixing on wax master tory show and i was wow. like i was like yo because like, me I always thought dj naps was from atlanta saying everything that he did with the atlanta movement with crisscross and jd so so deaf and all mm-hmm. that but to know that he has nc ties and is one of the pillars for nc hip-hop how we mentioned mr freeze earlier and dj sound machine and how yeah. you know that part of NC hip hop needs to get told on a wider scale because we only hear about from Little Brother, J Cole, Petey Pablo, Raspity Ford, but not prior. Yeah, yeah, that that history, and you know, you know, it's like a lot of things. It's oral histories that's been told, been been passed down <laughs> from the ancestors. So a lot of it isn't written down, unfortunately. And I think a lot more of it do, does need to be getting written down. Uh, you know, let's we definitely got to make an honorable honorable mention to DJ Deluxe. Deluxe has been also a pillar of Raleigh radio and hip hop for a very long time. He also started on uh, KNC. Wow, I did not know so many NC hip hop luminaries got their break on KNC. So, yeah. can we talk about the legacy of when KNC? I, well, KNC was one of those radio stations that was playing hip hop, you know, cause it was, it was, it's a college station. So in, in that era, you know, the, the students, the students, ba- basically the radio station is programmed by the students and it's for the students. So they play what the students want to hear. So, you know, a lot of college radio stations that are in that format uh, are block programming. So in block programming, you know, your radio station might literally have, <laughs> you know, 24 formats within a day. You know, if it's on for 24 hours a day, it might have 24 different formats because each DJ plays something different. So that's what was going on with a lot of college radio stations. So, you know, if you're a student, you could get on the air. This is the same thing as your alumni, your school, um, WUAG. Well, actually, I was on the air at UAG. What's wild is I couldn't get on the air at WNAA. So, you know, I kind of took my talents over to UNCG because they will let me get on the air over there. Uh, especially uh, during the summer months when the students were out, you know, a lot of times the uh, they they would allow regular people to come in and do shows to fill time. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Did I ever have you on my show at UAG? I don't think I was on your show. I was on. I was always on Chris Lee's yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, you were always on on Chris show because that's how you know, like I said, you and I met through there. Met mm-hmm. DJ B Man through. Chris, yeah, I met B Man through there. Yeah. And um, how- you know, at that time, you know, we're thinking that, man, you know, we're just in this small little cramped studio in the basement of Taylor <laughs> where we had to yeah. close the door when it was a uh, play season. And to look at it now, almost 20 years later to see, you know, what he's doing, you know, what I'm doing with this and how it all started because of being in that little studio, 18 watts. Thank God for WAG.net. And big shout out to Jack <laughs> yeah. Bonnie for um allowing me to get on the air and do my thing because, you know, with them being non-commercial, I think they were totally against what I was playing because I was playing pretty much what would be considered urban AC or um AC now with 80s, 90s R&B, 80s, 90s, early 2000s pop. 
you, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, definitely big ups to, to Jack for that and how college radio, like you mentioned, really was one of the early embracers of hip hop and how a lot of acts ended up getting their big break first in college radio before breaking out mainstream. Yeah. Yep. That's very true. College radio was, was a pillar of, of hip hop and not just hip hop, but a, a lot of music movement started on college radio and um, definitely got to get an honorable shout out to WNSB in Norfolk. They're still a uh, college radio station. They still play hip hop and R and B DJB does their morning show. Um, and then you also have WHOV, which is Hampton university's radio station. They're still really influential in the community. And also, uh, uh, W-R-V-S. Uh, I had to get that call sign right. Because <laughs> it's different. R-V-S and it is R-S-V. R-V-S is We're Radio Viking Style, which is ECSU's radio station. R-V-S is Soul 92, which we was talking about with Terrence J and, and uh, D-Train. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so, so I always get there. Try to get there. I try to think We're Radio Viking Style. That's how I remember uh, their call. Yeah, so it's almost kind of like how some people get WJMates mixed up with... Uh, WHJM out in uh, Orlando. Yeah, WJHM. Yeah. WJM, well, well, yeah, J yeah. JHM is gone. Yep. They're they're now. I think they're alternative now. Yeah. J oh. uh, one hundred two jams Orlando. Jams Orlando is gone. Oh, when did they flip? Uh, it was before the pandemic. Uh, I think it was maybe 2017, 2018 or so when they when they flipped. But they're also an Odyssey, Odyssey station as well. But yeah, that was a uh, that was a Jerry Clifton prodigy. That was a Jerry Clifton station, and so was one or two jams. Both of them were um, consulted by Jerry Clifton uh, in in their early days. Wow! So kind of like with consultants, what they do is they go to these stations. When you're about to do a format flip, they kind of say, "Hmm, you should tweak this. Maybe you should let this person go. Maybe you should keep this person in order to make the station format flip as seamless of a transition." as possible yeah yeah it also depends a lot of times they help um they help guide the radio station to where they they want to uh where they want to go mm. now i don't know if did you get a chance to see the force tour when they came to raleigh or charlotte uh no i didn't okay i went to go see it when they came to albuquerque a couple of weeks ago and man it's like hip-hop say these comments where you probably won't see this again because at my show, of course, you had LL, Roots, Jazzy Jeff, DJ Z Trip, Big Boy, he brought Sleepy Brown out, Rakim, and the surprise act at my show was Bone Thugs. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they started performing, the medicinal was in the air. Well, I mean, you're you're in you're in New Mexico, so you know you you can do that. Y'all can do that over there. Yeah. You know, um, you know, in NC, you know, the the consensus is is at festivals and stuff, just let it go. But you know, you can't really have it. Yeah. So yeah. NC won't let folks get loud. Well, they they'll let them get loud. Because I was at Dreamville, it was it was uh, it was loud. It was definitely loud. It was smelling very loud at Dreamville. <laughs> Yeah, the loud pack was in the air heavy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I saw that overhead shot uh, from the crowd. For me, I'd have been like, nah, nah, can't do it. 
crowd's too big. I know the wait time for food was something. I'm like, nope. Actually, it well, no, I take that. Well, no, it wasn't. The food, the wait time. Dreamville, if there was any festival to go to, Dreamville was done right. Um, lines for food weren't long. Uh, you could pretty much get anywhere you wanted to go. Uh, very little issues, you know, getting around the around the park. Now, of course, you had to do a lot of walking. You had to have some good shoes on. But as far as that goes, like Dreamville, Dreamville, if you're going to do a festival, that's how it's done. The only thing is, yeah, you got to be prepared to walk. Yeah, I know that live streamed it too on Amazon. Now, were they doing uh, single day admissions tickets in addition to like the day passes? Uh, I don't know, most likely. Um, but I don't know. I was, you know, I, like I said, I was on the backside, so I was backstage. Right. Lucky you. Now, a few things I want to talk about with you before I let you go. Um, no next month that BT they're going to be doing a three part docuseries called Welcome to Rap City, talking mm -hmm. about Rap City. And, uh, can we just talk about real quickly the impact of Rap City, you know, from Chris Thomas, the mayor, to Big Glass, Joe Claire. Prince de Jour and of course the basement with Bit Tigger and later Mad Links and talk about the impact of Rap City. Well, yeah. for me, Rap Rap City, I mean Rap City, you know, not for me. Uh I just want to say Rap City was was probably a lot of people's introduction to hip hop, especially mainstream America, where let's say, you know, you had cable TV, but you didn't have a radio station in town that played hip hop music. But you have cable or satellite and you can watch BT and hear hip hop music and rap music. Um, you know, as for me, it was one of my earliest introductions in the rap music, especially, uh, you know, New York hip hop. You know, they brought a lot and is definitely one of the major contributors to, to kind of making it hip hop mainstream. G520, I remember the satellite name and the channel number at my grandma's house because like you said, you know, growing up, where we grew up in North Carolina, everything kind of came in late, especially from New York. So it was really your introduction into what was going on hip-hop-wise outside of your region and how when mixtapes started coming in, when everybody was coming from up north, down south, they would bring all their stuff with them and how we were like, oh, this is hot. But of course, up north, it was old news for them. Yeah. Sorry, the dog distracted me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, 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 dog, the dog was getting his rolled all like the big time. Yeah, he was. Um, you might have to say that again. He definitely distracted me. Now yeah. I think he's begging for his food. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but as far as yeah, yeah, as far as as far as Rap City goes, like it, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, like you said, it folks in the Midwest or you know that are in parts of America that that didn't have access to hip hop music. There was, that was their exposure to hip hop. Mm -hmm, definitely their, their exposure. And um, one last thing I want to ask you um, before I let you get on out of here. Um, why did you think it took so long for when 99.5 came in that they decided to cater hip hop and R&B to that part of Northeastern North Carolina? Because prior to... 99.5 coming on. You only got to hear your hip hop and R&B if you were able to hear K97 or whatever was coming out of uh, Petersburg or Richmond. Well, according to CJ, and CJ can probably tell you better than I can, um, 
they got a consultant in to try and figure out what to do with the radio station because when they bought it and put it on the air, they didn't really know what to do with the signal. And I believe their consultant said, well, why don't you put Urban on it? And they were like, why? And they said, well, you're, the station is right off I-95. And, you know, if you're in between Rocky Mount and Petersburg, you can pick the station up and all the other Urbans are weak. So there's, you have an untapped market here for music. And of course, you know, if you're getting pulled over in Emporia, you got some music to listen to while the cop writes you a ticket. Yeah, so don't go speeding on 58 if if you know you know what I'm talking about. Or, so or, or 95 for that matter. Yeah, or 301 or anywhere around Northeastern North Carolina, because you know a state trooper will probably be lying in the ditch somewhere waiting to pull you over. <laughs> The Virginia yeah. troopers are, are are a different level. Yeah, the Carolina I, troopers are, but you know, Virginia, woo, you don't. So let's say welcome to Virginia. You better slow right on down to the limit. Yeah, but Virginia is for lovers, but it's not for speeders. That's the Communist Republic of Virginia. That ain't no Commonwealth. That's a communist. <laughs> and that's brought to you by Jack Spittle Faddle. Uh, <laughs> Jake Spittle Faddle Shop. Ah, uh, forget it. So, so, so before we go, Er, you got any shout outs you want to give, man? Oh, man. Big shout out to you for bringing me back on. I don't know why you wanted me to hear me yapping for another hour and a half or so, but I appreciate it. Man, I just brought you on because I know you ain't got nothing to do. You my good friend. You got a wealth of knowledge of radio just like I do, man. And man, Yeah, bro, I got I got too much knowledge of it. That's one thing for sure. I definitely do. Yeah, yeah, man. You can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts. Also on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big thank you to the one, the only, my good friend, the homie, DJ. Iron, 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 Iron. Iron, Iron, Iron. Thank you okay, once again, bro, for coming on, man. Oh, yeah.